The fire still burns. The fire snapped and crackled in the stone grate. The general smoothed his moustache after every sip from the wide-mouthed balloon glass and looked down into the valley where the lights of the town shone. He shrugged off his jacket testily. Do you really need a fire all day, every day? It's not yet that cold, man. Doc swirled the amber liquid in his glass feeling himself pulled into its depths, worlds within worlds. It must have been ten minutes before he spoke. Charan was my best friend. I thought his marriage would be the end of our friendship, for which new wife wants an old friend around. But Mihika was an exceptional woman. She accepted me in the family, no questions asked. They had just the one child, a girl, Tarika. Mihika poured herself into that child. Perhaps she sensed she had only a little time and much to instill. She was gone before Tarika's 14th birthday. That left us two crusty men to raise a girl at a stage when she most needed her mother. We muddled through and Tarika grew into a lovely young lady. And then Charan died too. I would have done anything on earth to comfort Tarika. But she turned to Bharat, a colleague, and not to me, whom she'd known her whole life. Charan and I had misjudged the intensity of their friendship. Within a year, they were Mr. and Mrs. Sharma. My small bachelor pad had always been just a place to sleep, since I spent all my free time at Charan's. Now, I threw myself into my work, keeping my practice open later and later at night. I was discreet enough not to visit the newlyweds unless invited, and phoned her only once a week. How this may have continued, I don't know. But in only the second year of their marriage, one night, extremely late, the doorbell was rung frantically. I'd returned just a half hour previously, so was still at my light dinner, but the imperious doorbell in the silence of the night demanded attention. It was Tarika. She'd hardly ever visited me there before, but she burst in with old familiarity. She was crying hysterically. I've killed him! I've killed him! What am I going to do, Dr. Uncle? He's dead! I've killed him! The bolt of fear that shot through me, I cannot describe. But I stayed calm and asked her to tell me what had happened. They'd had a fight. He'd said some ugly things. She'd pushed him. He'd hit his head against the frame of the door and gone down like a fallen tree. There was blood all over the floor. She'd panicked and run straight to my house just a few buildings away. Oof. 
I could breathe again. It wasn't a gunshot or a knife wound. He may be all right, which meant she'd be okay. I said I'd check. She was to send me his doctor's name and number on my phone, make herself a cup of tea and sit tight till I returned. He was still out cold, though 15 minutes must have passed. Pulse was strong and steady. He was definitely alive. So she was safe. Now, as to him. He was lying in a pool of blood, but there didn't seem to be any fracture of the skull. The crack on the head must have felled him, and he must have slammed his nose on the floor. That would have caused a severe nosebleed. It wasn't life-threatening, and luckily he had fallen face forward, or choking would have achieved what the fall hadn't. My phone rang. She was hyperventilating. I assured her that it was just a nosebleed, omitting to mention that he was still unconscious. Had she sent his doctor's number, I reminded her. She hadn't, but did it right away. I knew him casually and called and outlined the case. He offered to send an ambulance and have him hospitalized for 24 hours as a precaution. I agreed to wait till the ambulance arrived and as soon as it left, so did I. She was still extremely agitated when I got back. She resolutely refused to go either to the hospital or back to her home. She was evidently in shock. So I made her that cup of tea and gave her a sedative. While the sedative took effect, she filled me in on the details. The cause of the quarrel, it turned out, was me. She'd wanted to invite me for dinner. He'd said no. Once a month was his limit. She tried to explain that I was like a father to her and that such restrictions were odious. But he'd snorted derisively and made what she called for the second time some very ugly remarks. I didn't query further. All this may be normal in a marriage. What would I know? She pushed him. He hit his head. You know the rest. The sedative was kicking in. So I ushered her into my bedroom and settled her down for the night. With the confident entitlement of this whole generation, it didn't even occur to her to dimmer. I cleared my recliner where I usually did my late night study pulled out a thick bedspread to use as a cover and settled myself down for a watchful night. The next morning, I would drive her to the hospital so they could start repairing the breach between them and I'd make myself scarce for a while. But I must have fallen asleep for I woke to the doorbell with my specs still on my nose and the reading light on. I was shocked to find the husband at the door. Bharat, I couldn't believe they discharged him. He should still have been under observation. He may be concussed. When I said that to him, he sneered nastily and said, Yes, I knew you thought you'd be safe today. That's why I insisted on discharging myself. Made me sign tons of forms. Now, where is she? Safe from what? Or from whom? I asked, simultaneously indicating the bedroom. Where did you sleep? He flung at me. Angered by his crude insinuation, I snapped back, perhaps unwisely. This is a one-bedroom house. Where do you think I slept? 
I warned her about you, but would she listen to me? That's gross, Bharat, she said. He's the only father figure I have left. He loves me as a child, not the way you're suggesting. Seems I only succeeded in driving her into your bedroom, you filthy lecher. How I controlled the tide of fury that swept through me, I cannot say. I was on the verge of knocking him to the ground again. But for her sake, I stepped out of his path and let him enter. Whether he noticed that one side of the bed was unslept in or that my paraphernalia was on the chair, I cannot say. For he marched to the bedroom, pushed open the door and collapsed on the doorstep. These muscle-bound fellows sometimes take their bodies too much for granted. But a knock on the head is still a knock on the head. After a quick check, I called his doctor back, who organized another ambulance. He jeopardized himself with this ridiculous bout of jealous fury. He'd need more careful monitoring now. I roused Tarika and forced a cup of tea and some toast into her as I had every intention of dispatching her with him in the ambulance. From that day, I withdrew. I didn't want to cause further marital discord. She was too precious to me and her happiness was all that mattered. We had occasional phone chats. Birthday and anniversary visits were unavoidable, but I arrived late and left early citing work. She protested about that, but I paid it no credence. She suspected Bharat's jealousy had driven me away and she strove to shield me from him, not knowing I'd heard his ugly accusations at first hand. But the really ugly fact, General, that I needed to shield her from was that Bharat wasn't entirely wrong. I have always loved Tarika. Her father never saw it. Her mother may have, but she wasn't there. Bharat was sensitive enough to see into my soul and read there my blackest secret, yet not enough to see that I'd always smothered my burning affection for her and given her only what she was willing to accept from me, an avuncular friendship. But once I saw that I was a terrible blight upon their relationship, I knew that I must remove myself. It had to be managed tactfully. She shouldn't get even a whiff. I brought in a suitable young doctor to run my flourishing city practice. Built this cottage up here in the hills, always intending to use part of it as a clinic. I gave out invitations to visit me here in the summer, but made it plain they'd have to stay in a hotel since there was no room in my cottage. Their marriage thrives. Him? I don't know much of and don't care as long as he keeps her happy, which he does, which is all that matters to me. I work all the hours God gives to fill the days with activity and I survive on my memories and knowing I did the right thing. But memory is a poor substitute for life. My heart is in cold storage and that's why that fire must burn in the great day and night to remind me that I'm still alive.